you're listening to New Home, a podcast that shares with you some of the stories of migrant and refugee women living in regional Victoria. My name is Ali Hanley, and today I'm talking to Nita, a woman from Java in Indonesia. I visited her in her gorgeous mud brick home in the bush outside of Bendigo. She and her husband Aaron run a gamelan orchestra, which is a percussive orchestra made out of drums, gongs and xylophone-type instruments. Their living room is full of gently gleaming gamelan instruments, photos of family and intricate traditional shadow puppets and masks hanging from walls and the ceiling. After the interview, I hung around to listen to a rehearsal session, which you can hear in the background now. When Nita first moved to Australia from Indonesia with Aaron, she found it hard to connect to community. She was used to a culture where you had people all around you all the time. It took some time and a move to the regional city of Bendigo to crack the code of how to have community here. Now she has many communities, from bush dancing to field gnats. And of course, she's also created her own by running a gamelan orchestra from her home. This interview comes to you from Jara country, the traditional lands of the Jajawarang. I pay respects to their elders past and present. I also acknowledge the traditional owners from all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander lands you're listening from. I was born in Indonesia in a city called Yogyakarta, or some people call it Jogja. It's in central Java, and it's it's not a big city like you know Jakarta or other big cities in Indonesia. It's more like a small city, and it's famous student cities. A lot of students from different areas in Indonesia, so it's quite relaxed, you know, cheap. What was your upbringing like? My dad worked in government office, and my mom never really worked except for earn money by selling things, food mainly. And sometimes I worked in a sort of a sewing with the tailor and just helping, you know, them and just earn a little bit of money. So we're not poor, 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 but we're also not, you know, like rich and definitely, you know, like school fees are things that we always had to work hard to pay. I'm, I'm the oldest of four. So I've got a one brother and two sisters. Did you learn English? Through school at all? Ah, uh, yes, yes. In high school, year seven. Yeah, it's a compulsory subject. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> when did you come to Australia, and what made you want to come here? In 1992, I met Aaron. <laughs> yeah. How did you meet? He was studying at Deakin Uni to be a teacher, and there was a lecturer in there who was running an alternative practicum. So instead of going to um, schools in Australia in Victoria. And they arranged a program teaching English at my university in, in Jogja. So, yeah, we just met in the, at uni and just wanted to practice my English and, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, a, I was studying to be an English teacher at an English training, you know, like university in Jogja and then. So. so you were both there to learn how to teach languages and <laughs> you wanted to practice your English and he wanted to teach English. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he, Aaron was training to be a primary teacher, sort of. In sure. But, uh, and did you hit it off straight away and start dating or? More or less, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have to give too many details. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, we got married when I was 22 in Indonesia, okay. yeah. And how did your family feel about you marrying a foreigner from Australia? They're actually very supportive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're just 
you know, like, uh, just accepted straight away. And the same as Aaron's family, you know, they accepted straight away and they even came over for the wedding. And there was an old in traditional Indonesian wedding and the family dressed up in Indonesian costumes and Aaron's family, Aaron's too? family, yeah. Mom and dad, sister, brother and their yeah, partner and friends. Yeah. What does a traditional Indonesian wedding look like? Oh, uh, it's exactly started the night before, on the day before when we had cleansing ceremony, you know, like you're, you know, being washed, you know, they pour water to clean you to get ready for the next, you know, for yeah. the next stage of life yeah. by the grandparents and the parents, the older people. And, and so that's, that's the day before. And then in the evening, we invited the people from the church to yeah. come. And we had the blessing ceremony. And then the next day we went to church and then we had the reception, traditional sort of party. So at what point did you guys come back to Australia to live here? Yeah, we got married in January 94 and then we came here July 94, so 28 years ago. (laughs) And were you living in Melbourne for a while? Yes, in Melbourne for six months. And then we came to Bendigo and that's it. And so when you first moved to Australia as a young woman, what was that experience like for you? What did it feel like to be in this different place? We moved to Melbourne and we lived in Windsor. So there's a lot of houses, you know, like uh, in a suburb, but you never saw anyone out on the street. And it was so, so quiet and so, it's a, it's a lonely place. It's just, it's, yeah, it's just, you, you just didn't see anybody <laughs> yeah how did that feel for you oh I was so lonely and that's the probably the the hardest part you know like because in Indonesia where I come from it was, we, we've got a house and around the house is you know neighbors and you just seen them all the time you know who they are and all things what they are doing and all things like that everything yeah. and then if you know like and when we have someone new in the, you know, in the neighborhood, they will come up and say hello. And, you know, like sort of, as, you know, you know your neighbors, but sort of nobody wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> you walk past people and they don't make eye contact. No, and, you... <laughs> and it was sort of once, because we, had, uh, we were staying in a second floor and I saw sometimes, you know, after school, you know, like some kids actually were outside there and I was sort of trying to go on the window and trying to sort of, you know, attract their attention and things like that. But the only one you spoke to is the people who own the milk bar in the court, you know, like so you on there got your milk, got your bread and talked to them. That's the only sort of, you know, people sometimes you talk to. And that was, and because I didn't do anything much then, I didn't work, didn't, you know, I didn't study. So, but eventually I did get a job at after school care. That's much better. At least you've got a, you know, like people to talk to, but, but you don't talk to your neighbors. That is a, that is the hardest part. Yeah. Very interesting. And were you able to connect with anyone else who spoke Javanese or Indonesian in Melbourne? Was there a little community of expat people? Yeah, yeah and there, there are some uh, Indonesian yeah, groups and things like that. But Melbourne is such a big, you know, whenever you have to go to, uh, sort of, what do you call it? Uh, not Brunswick or, you know, like, oh, Coburg, Coburg or Preston. other subject, uh, other suburbs. Yeah, yeah, it's so far away. It can take 30 minutes, 45 minutes just yeah, to get a yeah. couple of suburbs. And you across. have to, 
you have to arrange a meeting, you know, like you have to ring them. Oh, can I visit, you know, like you and such and such. Oh, yeah, maybe you come for dinner or for the, but you never really just pop in and, yeah. That talk. casual. So that's a, the yeah. casual, that's the, just the, and you're part of the, the community sort of. But I enjoyed it when we did visit, you know, we did have friends there in Melbourne. So we caught up for lunch and things, but yeah. And so once you moved out to Bendigo, did that change at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bendigo is completely different, a different story because uh, in Bendigo, when you go to a supermarket or something and you see someone who looks a bit Indonesian, people would come up to you and say, ah, oh, you're Indonesian. Or you sometimes said, oh, yes, I'm Indonesian. Oh, no, I'm, I'm Filipinos or, you know, like something like that. But we, so we get to know the Indonesian friends. You sit next to two people who are talking in Indonesian, you know they're Indonesian, but if you are in Melbourne, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, wouldn't, you know, like just say, oh, you're from Indonesia or things like that if you don't know them. And But in Bendigo, if you, you know, like... You just sit with them, you join them at the table. Yeah, exactly like, oh, you know, like, sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's people easier to, yeah, to, to sort of make connection, yeah. When we came to Bendigo, we lived in town, just right in town, renting a, an old house there for a year. Then we eventually bought this place in 2001, and we are here for... And yeah. then you built this beautiful house. And then we built the house, yeah. <laughs> we think it's home. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, of course. When did the children come along? Ning was born in Bendigo in 95 and Ario was born in, uh, we went back to Indonesia in 96 and Ario was born there and we stayed there for a year and a half and then we came back here early 98. Do your children speak Indonesian? Yes. When they were little, you know, we, we went to Indonesia very often, visit the family and stayed there for two months and things like that. But the language that we use in Java, in Jogja, is Javanese. So that's the language that we actually taught them first. So they grew up bilingual with English and Javanese? Sort of, yeah. But the only, we, we're hopeless. <laughs> we won't, always wanted to uh, use Javanese, particularly me. When we were in Indonesia, because the family, they don't speak English, they, the kids were actually forced to use Javanese. So they can speak Javanese. So in Indonesia, can you explain to me the situation between Java as an identity and a language and Indonesian. Give me a little bit of history of that so people can understand the context. Of oh, yes. So for me, when I was growing up, as a kid, my first language was Javanese. So I didn't speak Indonesian, you know, like until I went to primary school. So, the, you know, about six or seven or something like that. And then you use, uh, you learn Indonesian at school and then television and everything. So you ended up growing, you know, like growing up bilingual. Mm. So Indonesian and Javanese, completely different languages. So if you don't speak uh, Javanese, you won't be able to. So the same as Balinese and, you know, a lot of other languages in Indonesia. So you do have to learn Indonesian to be able to talk to different groups. But a lot of people are bilinguals in that way, local language and then Indonesian, yeah. Yeah, so Indonesian covers a lot of islands which would have had a lot of different indigenous kind of languages and cultures and they've now been joined together as Indonesia. Yeah, yeah. And where did the Indonesian language come from? Is that one of the islands and then it's just been used across all as the unifying language? Yeah, it was actually only part of Sumatra. 
So it's sort of what, you know, like West Sumatra area. So that's in the, that kind of area so from Malay. That's, so it's actually a bit more similar to Malaysia. It's actually from Malaysia, you know, like the Malay. Malay. It's more related to Malaysia. And then to Javanese, Balinese, Timorese and all that sort of, you know. And do you, th- do you feel like Javanese and Timorese and Balinese are similar languages? Do you feel like historically They're, those cultures would have mixed? No, there's, they're completely different cultures. Yeah, different, the different islands, different ethnic groups in Indonesia, and they have their own language and their own culture. So, and that's what, what makes it so interesting. If you go to different parts of Indonesia, you have different food, different dance, different music, different everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. It's, it must be so rich in so many different ways. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yes. And so you play gamelan? And that is traditionally Javanese? Yeah. yeah. So in, in Java, there is Central Java and East Java, which is quite similar in the Gamelan things, but the West Javan is a bit different. And there is Gamelan as well, Balinese Gamelan, but that's completely different. So what we play is a Central Javanese Gamelan, yeah. Okay, so tell me how you learnt to play and what made you want to play here in Australia and teach people. Well, when I was in uh, high school, year seven or year eight, mm-hmm. I learned a little bit of, you know, to play gamelan. And then in 96, some, someone was telling us about this scholarship to study gamelan in Indonesia. And yeah. we were sort of thinking of going back to Indonesia. Mm-hmm. So Aaron decided to apply for scholarship to study gamelan. The scholarship is from the Indonesian government for students around the world to study language and Indonesian culture. So Aaron applied for that and got it. Uh, and so Aaron studied uh, gamelan for a year and a half in Jogja and I was there. And did you learn at the same time? No. <laughs> so I was more interested in dancing. So uh, I learned dancing, Indonesian dancing when I was little. So so your Australian husband knew more about your traditional music than you did? <laughs> yeah, we did. You know, like he did actually study it for a year and a half. I didn't. I played, but I didn't. Yeah. It's funny because my daughter... Our daughter, <laughs> and then ended up <laughs> studying dance, traditional dance, uh, when she finished year 12, for her gap year, for one year. She actually got a, got a, the same scholarship as, you know, like Aaron. And then a year later, our son also studied gamelan, the music, in my hometown for a year to, you know, like so. And so they got and to... And also scholarship. So yeah. the three of them got the same scholarship. <laughs> That's amazing. That's really amazing. And I guess they all, you then got to like spend time with your family and be back at home. Yes, Ario actually uh, studied in my hometown, but Ning Outdoor is just next town, sort yeah. of so about 60 kilometers away. But So that's there when they actually learn how to really speak Indonesian properly because they had to attend lectures in... Indonesian, but amongst friends, they actually, people speak Javanese, so they actually, there, they actually have to use their Javanese, so yeah, they, they speak Indonesian and Javanese there. So you're trilingual, all of you, <laughs> you and your, your children? Yeah, and Aaron, and Aaron too. Yeah, yeah. Aaron knows Javanese and Indonesian, Indonesian as well? Yeah, wow, yeah, what a great yeah. family. <laughs> and when did you guys start your Gamelan Orchestra? Was this something between the two of you or is it really Aaron's thing? Or? Both of us. It's our, you know, uh, in 2006, 
six. After we built our house, we you know now have a place to put the gamelan and yeah. So 2006, we started with some friends and our kids. So that, at least there were always four of us. And the kids there was ten and eleven. Yeah. So it's how long is that? Sixteen years. Yeah, yeah. Something. And how has it grown in that time? How has it changed? Oh, uh, sort of stay, sort of, uh, you know, like sort of the same. People come and people go, continue the, the, their life, you know. Some people have to go to Melbourne, like our kids, they have to, they had to move to Melbourne to study, but there are more people coming and so they never really have big and never really, you know, small. It's just people, yes, yeah, changing all the time. But we, some of us have been playing you know, like for more than 50, you know, like, oh, well, since the beginning. So, you know, we come like family because we practice every week. And have you performed at different events? Yes, yes, we perform in different festivals, like, you know, what do you imagine? Cultural festivals, uh, uh, modern folk festival, Bendigo festival, Indonesian festival in Melbourne. But we also play for little things like friend of ours, uh, know someone from the galleries and, and the friend of ga- Bendigo galleries that sort of organize lunch together, you know, like fundraising, we played for them. And also the same as the Greens and Sister Works and little and the seniors at the town hall cushion concert for the little so we play for the little to the more seniors and like yeah Can you talk to me a little bit about what the different instruments are Yes this one is called saron It's a bit like and the so xylophone, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it plays a melody, you know, like sort of things. And, and the gong, this is a very important uh, instrument. The big, big gong is the the play. You know, there is an introduction, and then there is playing the big. Oh, gong! This is the. Uh, at the start and then also at the end you have to wait for the big gong to go and then you hit the last note so it's very very so um, it opens and it closes the piece yeah yeah so over here is uh the bonang it's uh it's more more complicated you know like more uh so, so this from- looks like a series of mini miniature gongs set out on like almost like a day bed. It yeah, looks yeah, like. yeah, yeah. The kids sort of said, "Oh, what's that? Is that a bed?" You know. <laughs> so, and this is from when I played on the xylophone, on the saron, which is a bit like in the xylophone, like the main basic, uh, basic melody. This one would play a different sort of, you know, like a bit more, what do you call it, complicated. Sort of more, you know, like, and then a sort of more variety of that. And that, this one here is knits fast hands. A lot more notes that you have to play in. That's one note from that. There's two notes from this, and this one four notes in every one. So it really has to be fast for, with this one here. But this one is the drum. It's uh, in the Western music. It's the the conductor. So it looks kind of like a bongo, but on its side? On the side, yeah, and you sort of, and all the players have to listen to the drum because it's where, it's the one who keeps you know, the keeps, pace. Yeah, yeah. You go fast, you go slow, to, you have to follow 
the, the bit like the conductor. And the for for a dancer, the drum, the kandang is the. You listen to the drum. Yes, that's the cue for the movements. Yeah. So this is usually played in combination with the kato. So you, this is a, the small one is called kato. So. Off beat. So this is sort of a, this is on beat and off beat. So that's, you know, that's sure, sort of sure. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting to me that the big one is higher pitched. I guess it's just how it's formed. Mm, mm. And so obviously in Indonesia and across the different islands in Java, they had metalworking skills. From a long time. Yeah, yeah. And this one, there, there is actually a, a relief in the, in the temple, one of the temples with, was built in year 700, 800, and they already got a bit of gamelan sort of, you know, things. So it's early, yeah, early kingdoms in Indonesia. Sort of it's a long, long time, yeah. And the, the, the stories too, of course, the shadow puppet, which also be, you know, you know, like when you do the shadow puppet in Indonesia, you, is accompanied by the gamelan, but the story of the shadow puppet actually came from India, you know, like for, 100, 500, 600, you know, like sort of, yeah. Because I know shadow puppets are also used in Southeast Asia, like in Thailand and yeah, places like yeah. that. So it's obviously traveled through yeah, all of that and the land. Same, the same, the characters are similar, sort of, you know, like through, I think of a Hindu culture from India, you know, back then and then also to Thailand. So you obviously love your Javanese culture. Has it been hard to live in Australia and be so far away from your family and home? Yeah, there was a, you know, like, uh, definitely you have to adapt and there's things that you miss and, you know, like you have to be, because I'm the only one here, my family, all my family went there and so, you know, you miss your family and when your mom was sick, so we spent time there, you know, went there and then your mom passed away and you're far away and then the same as your dad, you know, like you're sick and then, you know, like passed away and that part of that thing is that you're far away and, you know, you're, you're yeah. You can't be there as much you as you wish you could. Be, exactly right. Yeah. You no, know, every time you leave, you sort of could be, the you know, like the last time. And what do you miss most from your Javanese or Indonesian culture that's not here in Australia? Oh, you know, like at the start, when I came here, I really missed the, the people around you, you know, like you're always with people and, uh, you're never alone, you know, like it's a part of the big community, you know, like when you, you know what, what is happening in the neighborhood. Well, here you, you don't know what your neighbors are doing, you know, like all the things like that, you know, like it's just, you just don't know. But also at the same time, it, I really enjoy the, the privacy, you know, like in that, because that they can be, it can be a bit too much as well to live in the village where everyone wants to know your business. Then, you know, after living here for a long time, then you realize that you could actually build your, con, you know, like connection with the community, like through the gamelan, through the bush dance, through the field nets, through this, you know, like, and then you, be, you actually have families, have, you know, like, but not necessarily, your neighbors, you know, your direct neighbors. So you can have community, just not with the people directly around you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's what what's it's from the outside. So maybe that's the one when if you move to another country from you know like from a country like Indonesia, you'll just have this cultural shock and suddenly, whoa, 
I'm here by myself, you know, like you don't know your neighbors, but, but then you can actually build, if you have kids and you, you know, like the, playing soccer and then you can have the soccer club and you, but if you don't have any, you still have the, you know, like other things, but you do have to go out and you have to, you know, like join things. Yeah. You have it's to not, find it. It, find it doesn't it. just, it yeah, isn't just yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the multicultural organization and, you know, and that's so good because that's probably approachable too from this, from the new people because from all over the world, you know, like from different culture background, they suddenly feel welcome. And, and you mentioned bush dancing earlier. Did you join a bush dancing group? Yes, yes. <laughs> I love bush dancing. I, I love dancing and, and it is amazing. I wish a lot more people actually join bush dancing. So where do you do bush dancing? In Bendigo, it, uh, with uh, Bendigo Bush Dance Club, and the Emu Creek Band is the one who, you know, with companies with the live music. It's, oh, it's amazing. It's just, yeah, yeah, really welcoming, and that's a part of, you know, like Australia, which, yeah, really, really welcoming. Yeah. Thank you for listening to New Home. Follow this series in your favorite podcast app to get new episodes or visit sbs.com.au slash newhome. If you'd like to get in touch, email newhome at sbs.com.au. The series was created and produced by me, Ali Hanley, and Ginny Tan, with additional editing by Max Gosford. And again, the music in this episode was created by Nita's Gamelan Orchestra, and they were playing traditional Central Javan compositions. <laughs>